0: Speaking to this week's guest, the incredible African-Australian human rights activist Khadija Blau has had such a huge impact on me and I cannot wait for you to listen to our chat. With International Women's Day coming up on the 8th of March, having Khadija take the time to speak with me and share her story with all of us is something truly special. Khadija is the definition of a strong and empowered woman, fighting for what she believes in and pushing for positive change around the world. After coming from Gambia to Australia as a refugee, at just 13 years of age, Khadija is a true inspiration, having experienced the sad truth of discrimination, racism, inequality and abuse many women face firsthand. Now, she's not only a survivor, but a passionate advocate for other women who have suffered the same, dedicating her life to helping young women around the world, campaigning against and raising awareness for FGM. Some of the topics in this episode may be confronting and difficult to listen to, but I truly believe it's such an important episode about the inequality and discrimination many women still face today. And more than that, it's a story about the power of fighting for what you believe in, empowering those around us and choosing to challenge the wrongs we see in the world. I encourage you to find a quiet place, pour yourself a cup of tea and listen to this powerful episode where you will discover Khadija's story and the incredible work she does, how Khadija finds strength to keep pushing for change and fighting for what she believes in. How to own your story and create your own change. The power of choosing to challenge the wrongs you see in the world. The importance of showing up, even on the days it seems hard. Tips on being an ally and giving a voice to those who need it. The importance of challenging the status quo, the magic of morning routines, and so much more. You are going to feel so inspired after this episode. So let's get right into it. Hi, Khadija, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Christina. I am so excited to be here with you.
0: Oh, I am so excited to be here with you as well. I cannot tell you how inspired I am by you and all the amazing things you are doing. It's just so inspiring, hence having you here on the podcast because I really want to spread the word and and, uh, support you in any way that we can. So before we jump in, I ask the same question to all my guests and that is, what were your dreams for the future when you were a child? What did you dream about being or doing?
1: When I was a child, my first dream was to be a doctor. To me, it sort of looked like doctors helped everyone you know they were what every community needed they were um they were admired respected and in times of hardship and struggle you can always count on doctors to come out. you know to come out and and do the right thing they had integrity they you know they had the right value so i sort of envisaged being a doctor and then as time grew i wanted to be mother Teresa at some point because i thought well you know, I could be a doctor, but I could also be somebody who really worked with the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalised. Really get into that grassroots, you know, level work where you know you're not limited by a hospital or a clinic, but actually go into the poor, the vulnerable, the voiceless, the marginalised, and really working with them to empower them, to build them up, and to advocate for them. So I think yes, probably my resounding dream growing up was to be. Mother Teresa. And I didn't even want children. I just thought the world had so many children that we needed to look after kids who were orphans and had lost parents or family members and give them all the love and support they needed. Because I just thought there were just so many as it is. And I was like, I have a heart to be a mama to everyone. I can be everyone's mama. Yes, I can be that. So <laughs> I think that was my dream. And in some ways, I think I manifested that into the world, but in a different format years later.
0: You sure have. Huh? So for anyone who who are listening may not know about the activism work you do, Fighting Against and Raising Awareness for FGM around the world. So I'd love you to share how you came to work in this area. And for those unfamiliar with FGM, can you share with us why this work is so important?
1: So I, I came across FGM from a place of a survivor. So I'm not just somebody who's fighting a cause, that um, has not been my experience. This course is one that's very close to my heart. Um, I was between the age of nine and 10 when my mother took uh, me to a remote part of Gambia. And at the time there was no conversation about what was about to happen or this practice. I had no idea. This was something I was even vulnerable to as a little girl. I had just told, you know, my mom was taking me on a holiday, like she said, and that we were going on a road trip, you know, and that sounded quite nice. So I had no reason to feel unsafe. And it was also my mom, why would I feel unsafe? She was the, you know, she's my protector, my provider. I have no reason to doubt that she should have my best interest. But in this road trip, we ended up in a remote part of. Of Gambia and what ensued was what we will now has become my life mission. Years later, my mother had paid this older woman, a very scary woman, some money to essentially perpetrate female genital mutilation to me. So female genital mutilation is defined as the altering and cutting of the female genitalia of little girls. So it's done to girls for the purpose of controlling their sexuality, for the purpose of ensuring they're clean and pure to maintain their virginity. So that day my mom made this ultimate decision that as a mom in that cultural context, for us to belong, for me to belong, for me to be accepted, for me to be manageable, this was something I needed to be subjected to. So this old lady and her both held me down while wow, she cut off what I now know to be my clitoris because at the time I don't even have a word in my own language for the clitoris. Yet it is so hated and despised and and and, and cut off every single day on little girls, but there's no word. For it, there's not even it, yeah, it doesn't exist in my language. But what happened to me that day is known as female genital mutilation, and what I experienced was type two female genital mutilation. And there are three types so the first type is when they cut off just the hood of the clitoris, type two is when they cut off the whole clitoris and your labia, manora, or majora, which is your lips, and then type three is where they cut everything off and they sew you up so you barely have enough room to pee or have your period or they leave everything in but just sew over to still once again limit your uh, ability to to pee or have your period and to absolutely ensure you have no sexual intimacy with anyone until you are married this uh, for everyone listening is child abuse it is gender-based violence it is gender discrimination And it goes hand in hand with other issues like forced marriage. We do know that when girls are subjected to this, it reduces the quality of life they have. It, It ensures they don't have access to education, access to financial independence. They are literally boxed in and treated and traded like a commodity with no value of their own. And I have spent the last 20 years of my life fighting and campaigning to end FGM in Australia and around the world. In, currently in Australia, I am the lead voice and campaigner on this issue. And to me, it is very important that all of us, and I think every one of us has the capacity for empathy and compassion, whether it comes from a place of being a woman listening to this, or you have a daughter, you have a cousin, you have a nephew, just as even as a human, that the idea that children and little girls you know, are subjected to this act is absolutely unacceptable if I had said to you we're cutting off the ears of little kids, everyone would be outraged. Yet 200,000 survivors of FGM live in Australia. That's 200,000 baby girls, girls who had had a, a beneficial and important, healthy part of their genitalia, their bodies, cut off in the name of the patriarchy, thinking that women are a threat, that our bodies need to be controlled, our autonomy is not important. That we're only good for breeding and making babies, not pleasure and not having control over and having a say over our bodies and how we want to use that body and how we want to represent ourselves in the world. That is unacceptable to me.
0: I didn't know this even existed in Australia before I knew all the work you're doing. So at first, you're doing an amazing work, obviously getting people aware. Um, because you know me, growing up in Sweden is such a safe. I know that's not the case for everyone in Sweden, but um, I certainly grew up in a, you know on a farm in a very safe environment. So when I heard about this, I was completely shocked, and um, it's just unimaginable for me. And and um, knowing that that's happening still in this. Um, day and age in um, in Australia was a complete shock to me. So tell me a little bit about um, the experience you had coming as a refugee, um, just, I think you were just 13 years of age. And how, I guess how this shaped you into the woman and amazing human rights activist that you are today?
1: I believe my, definitely, my human rights work stems from my own experiences. Uh, I think I, I was, I became a refugee at the age of three. I was a child. I was a baby. And at the age of three, I had no home. I was vulnerable to child slavery, child marriage, um, rape, a whole cohort of the other crimes that are perpetrated during war. Um, I, most people can imagine that. How do you become a refugee at three? How do you lose your nationality, your home, and everything you know at such a tender age? But that, that was the case for me. By the time we left Sierra Leone and fled the war, ended up in Gambia, um, I was now, what, nine or, or ten? We were internally displaced for lots of years, not being able to get out, but unsafe where we were. Then we end up in Gambia and we were still, once again, very much unsafe Uh because my mom was a single mom with two daughters. Um, And I think I have sort of mentioned this, and we'll talk about it later, how the power of education did give us all the opportunities that weren't afforded to other people. But, you know, we were there, single mom raising two daughters trying to survive, still very much unsafe. And then she applied for refugee status. We were accepted and we were brought to Australia you know, I, I look at my child now. I have a six-year-old baby boy. He has access to playgrounds. He has so many teddy bears in my house. Honestly, I'm always stepping on one of them. I have so much Lego. I, I I could build a whole house with those Lego. But my childhood was one that was fraught with insecurity, not feeling safe. I had my first teddy bear when I was 13, and that was in Australia. I don't remember having playgrounds and. I spent most of my time not really having the ability to hope or dream, but rather just trying to survive every second of the day and not knowing whether my mom, my, my primary carer, the only other parents I had left would die or, or still be there for me, whether we were going to be subjected to other acts, whether we were going to live enough to see our my 13th birthday was a miracle I did. That was sort of the conditions in which I grew up in. So when we came to Australia and um, at the age of 13, you know, it was such a cultural shock as well. It felt like I had gone from hell and I have arrived in heaven. But of course, that didn't last for too long. Mind you, being a little black girl, English was my eighth language, culturally very different. All of a sudden, I was a minority. And the color of my skin, which for most of my life had been so, I guess, irrelevant. <laughs> I didn't have to think about it. All of a sudden, was so hyper-visible. Uh, You know, um, when catching the bus, people saying, you black monkey, go back where you come from. My mom enrolled me at a girl's school and I struggled with the language barrier, the accent, trying to really settle in and integrate into my new home, which I was so grateful to be at. But it came with its own nuanced experiences. I started learning that people really stigmatized the title refugees. They had assumptions about what it meant to be a refugee. They thought people like us had come to Australia to take away from them um, and we would change their way of life. And I said, 13-year-old, I couldn't imagine this. I thought, it's not my fault I have lost my home. I want to be home if I could, if I had the choice. I'm here because I don't have a home. I'm not safe in my home. And I'm grateful to be here. Why are these people treating us like, I don't know, like we have leprosy or like like we're a plague or like we were here to punish them of, you know, it, it just never made sense to me. And at the age of 13, you have to imagine, you know, you're transitioning between two cultures. You have hormones going everywhere. I was visually very different. It was a hard time to be honest. Mentally, I had complex PTSD. Um, and for people who don't know that's complex post-traumatic stress disorder. That's what people who have gone through various traumas. Um, And yeah, it it was a strange transition to be honest with you and I think there's so many, there are millions and millions of refugees all over the world and that sort of experience, it changed me but more than anything um, it motivated me because I think when you go through bad things, there's almost a choice between have it overtaken you completely or you channeling that for a greater purpose or utilizing that to want to make a difference and I chose the latter, you know, I chose the the fact that this thing that had happened to me was not my choice or my fault, but I could, you know, utilize that experience to make a difference. So my earliest memory in Australia was just really wanting to advocate for what it meant to be a, a girl child who had experienced war, what it meant to be a refugee, what it means to lose your home, what it means to be uprooted and move to another country and start all over again, but also what it means to have such a privilege of being here. I have cousins and family members back home who have not been afforded this opportunity. I was able to have an education here. I was able to go to university. I'm able to raise my child in relative comfort and safety. Yes, Australia is not perfect, but when you compare it to other parts of the world, we must say we do have it good. And advocating for that and raising awareness of that and highlighting that is just as important.
0: Oh, I don't know what to say it's your story is just it's yeah it's just it's really hard to imagine that you could be treated that way and but I guess it's you know lack of education and lack of awareness and it's really hard to understand you have experienced firsthand the discrimination ageism, racism sexism mountains of stigma that sadly many women face and yet you have risen above it and become an advocate for these women it's an incredible achievement first of all to find the strength to do this and I would love to know how you find strength every day to keep pushing for change because I have no doubt that you will be seeing this over and over and um, I'm sure there'll be days where you're not sure if you can keep going
1: oh absolutely Christina I mean it's it's not easy and I think it's one of those questions that people always wonder when they look at people like us and I get that a lot how do you do it and my answer back to everyone is we all can sort of do it. In fact, this morning, when I pull my card from the um, You Can Make a Difference Empowerment card <laughs> with your partnership with Malala Fund, funny enough, my card says, remember, whatever is inside you is greater than any obstacle you may face. I actually believe that. So the obstacles that I have had in my life, they don't define me. And that's a choice I made. And I think that's something all of us could learn from. The challenges we face don't have to define us. Yes, we're victims as a result of being a woman. The gender discrimination we face, if you're a black woman, you face racism and sexism. I mean, I'm a woman who also has a disability, so that means also facing ableism, which most people don't tend to see visually, you know, up front. But all these challenges that we face, these barriers we face, they don't have to define us. And very much so they're horrible and we, we can challenge them, we can fight them and we can feel and an entitled to feel however we choose to feel about them. Absolutely. But they don't have to actually define us. I think there is power in owning our stories, Christina. There is power in owning those challenges and being the, the, the narrators of our own lives. My mother made a choice to have FGM perpetrated on me. The narrative now is not just I'm a victim of FGM. I'm a survivor. I'm an an advocate against FGM. All everyone remembers now is what I have chosen to do with that experience. And that is a choice I make every single day. When I work in the area of racial equality or gender equality, I am reminded that there is power when we all step up and say, this is happening. By breaking that silence, we're naming the behavior. This is FGM. This is child abuse. When we're naming sexism, this is unacceptable. This is gender inequality. When we name it, we are breaking the stigma attached to these issues. We're breaking the taboo nature of these issues that have continued for so long. When we say the girl child has a right to have access to education, she shouldn't have to play second fiddle to her brothers. How dare somebody say her only role in life is to be a mother and a a wife and to cook and clean and that she doesn't have a right to have information and knowledge so she can make informed choices in her life. When we named that as an issue, when Malala named that as an issue, when we named these issues, we gave them power. We highlighted them. We then created an opportunity to change them. So every single day I wake up, yes, every day looks different. I'm a single mom. I I wake up with my child and he talks my ears off and I'm lying there going, oh my God, can somebody make it stop? (laughs) And he's asking me, mommy, who created the world? At six a.m. in the morning, you know, I am reminded of the beauty and the privilege I have in raising another this little human to be to be hopefully a change maker in the future. And when I check my emails, I'm inundated with messages from across the world of women who have watched my TED talk and who have been so validated by me sharing my story. So that's how I show up. Christina every day. That's how I make the choice because I know that when I show up, I have seen the power of it and the impact it has had on other people's lives. I have seen the impact that it has on my son who gets to see his mom be a badass, you know, woman, a queen. He calls me a queen, by the way, which I love. (laughs) A wonder woman who gets up and, and changes the world. I I refuse Christina to accept that the world we have as it is with all its brokenness and all its challenges that, I refuse to believe I can play a part in that. It's knowing that I can. I have the opportunity to, I have a calling to do that. It's a privilege and a responsibility and almost a rent I pay for living on this, in this earth that I show up. And I think I keep saying this in all, a lot of my interviews. I believe every single individual, every one of us, are the answers to, to the challenges our family, our community, our nation, our world faces. Imagine if Malala hadn't answered that call. Imagine if Barack Obama hadn't answered that call. Imagine if Oprah didn't answer that call. Imagine if you, Christina, hadn't answered the call and the vision and the purpose you have to create Kiki, to now partner up with Malala in the way, the Malala Foundation, the way you have. Imagine if I hadn't answered that call. Imagine what would have happened. 20 years career working in human rights. I'm still inundated with messages from women and girls and other people all over the world every day, thanking me and sharing with me tidbits of how my showing up, me choosing to share my story, me choosing every day to make that choice that I will play my part, no matter how small, like doing this podcast, that is one more way I am showing up. One more way I'm choosing to want to contribute to my community and the world at large. That is how, that is what keeps me going, that there's such a massive impact. How can you not want to make that impact? But I do look after myself, Christine, I must say that, because I think people think, oh, well, you're a superwoman, you do it, I can't do it. I look after myself, everyone. I look after myself. I I have times when I rest. I have days when I, I, I make sure I drink enough water. I go to bed early. I turn off the internet. I turn off, you know, the emails. I rest, I focus on hugging and sniffing my baby. Babies smell so nice, Christina, don't they? They just have this nice, innocent smell. (laughs) I hold my baby, I have spa day, I have a bath. I do look after myself. So I'm not saying we choose self-sacrifice. Absolutely not. What I'm saying though, whether as a mom, whether as a sister, whether as a wife, whether as a husband, a brother, whatever your role is as a worker in your workplace, in your sports club, in your church, in your mosque, whatever role you have in society, we all have a sphere of influence. If we play one little part in that, if we just show up in a little way, it all adds up to make to create a ripple effect. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I'm so pleased to hear that you look after yourself because I see so many A-type personalities that you know are driven like you and have big dreams to, to make the world a better place and do amazing things. Um, but then go a little bit too hard and then, end up being completely burnt out and that's that's not good for anyone either so it's great great to hear because self-care um, is really important so thank you for sharing that so you are the founder of the Desert Flower Institute in Adelaide can you share a little bit with us about that work the Centre for Women
1: so for many years, as a survivor, you know, interacting with the health system in Australia, I faced a lot of challenges. A lot of the doctors and health professionals were not competent in FGM knowledge. They didn't know how to recognize the signs of FGM. They didn't provide proper treatment. Um, and it, it was horrible feeling. And I had focused so much of my energy in, in the child protection space, wanting to ensure that we protected those 11 girls a day who are at risk of FGM. But I also realized that they were survivors and what services were they getting? If I was, and I think, I am privileged in that I have an. am a university educated woman. I don't need an interpreter. I'm. I'm quite assertive, so I am able to to speak for myself and advocate for myself. But for some of the women I am talking about, English is not their first language. They do require an interpreter. Are not able to always communicate their needs. I wonder what kind of service then they were getting. If I was facing the challenges I was as a the privileged woman, I was. I, I am. So as time went on, I had this dream, and it was just a dream of looking at what if we set up something in Australia that provided a holistic and trauma-informed care for those 200,000 survivors. I saw that there was a clinic in, in, in France, and there was a clinic, clinic. Um, I think maybe in Switzerland, maybe, but they, there's clinics all over Europe, and there was even one in Kenya that worked with survivors. But... If you were an Australian woman, you shouldn't have to travel so far. The cost, uh, uh, I imagine, you know, flights and accommodation to go get treatment. Why couldn't we get treatment in Australia? We have treatment for everything else: cancer, diabetes, everything else. Why not to be able to have the appropriate care that w- we deserve as women who have gone through sexual violence and and, and physical and emotional abuse. So I sort of planted the seed and sort of write, wrote in my journal that it would be lovely to have that, the desert flower sort of center here in Australia because there's a desert flower center overseas. But what if something like that was in existence in Australia? And like all things, you write down a vision and I sort of then manifested that I will find the right people. I needed a surgeon, for example, and a gynecologist and, and trauma-informed psychologist to be part of this team. So I wrote down that this was what I wanted and then just sort of put the intention that I I, I will attract these people and I will look for these people. So as I went about my work doing trainings and education, I would keep saying to people, this is what I am trying to manifest and this is what my goal is. I'm looking for these kind of people. One day I was doing a training in one of my jobs and I mentioned this goal and dream. And one of the nurses there said to me, I know a gynecologist and a surgeon who I think will be amazing and will be able to help you. She already actually works with women impacted by FGM. I'm like, I have done all the Googling. I did not come across this woman. She's like, well, she keeps it. Um, It's not well publicized because she didn't want to sort of take away from the work and, the, and she wanted to give privacy to the women. But I think you could connect with her. Of course, I called her up, immediately set up a meeting, and I'm happy to see Dr. Fariba Wilson is now the lead gynecologist and surgeon who is working at the Desert Flower. She partner up with me, she, her daughter, and we also partner up with... Um, with a psychologist team who are all on board um, to sort of provide this holistic trauma-informed care right here in Little Adelaide of all places in Australia, um, and we are available free of charge to survivors of FGM. We've had women who have gone and had labiaplasty and it's gone completely wrong coming to see us. We're seeing people from the transgender community because we're very inclusive coming to see us. We have women who have you know experienced traditional, of course, FGM GM coming to see us, my dream manifested. It came to life. And I have a great team who all of them from the bottom of their heart really believe in the cause. believe that this is a human rights issue, believe that these women like myself are all deserving of of proper care for what we have been through. But most of all, Christina, I just believe that if I can give back a little dignity and a little sense of worth and a sense of wholeness to these sisters of mine because they're sisters to me because we share a common experience that nobody else probably can understand if I can give them that just that little bit of dignity that was stolen from them and sense of wholeness that was stolen from them then I have I'll be happy to die today because I think that is such an important thing as people, we all are deserving of dignity and wholeness and a sense of of pa- empowerment within ourselves, no matter what we have experienced. And been given that, even in a little way, I think is completely priceless.
0: Oh, it's just so inspiring. It's incredible what you're doing. So for anyone who's listening, who, who have different challenges, what kind of advice would you give to people out there who want to, you know, it could be obviously very different cause or very different beliefs or different way of, of, you know, making the world a better place. Why should people start and what should they do? Because um, no doubt you had to learn loads as you started this this mission.
1: I think my advice, and I'll split it into two groups. I think there's survivors and then they those who haven't experienced something but still want to make a difference. For survivors, my first sort of advice is go to counselling and get support because we cannot work from a place of an empty cup, but also we cannot work and make change when we are bleeding ourselves. I do not advise this. I think looking after ourselves is really important. We are the most important people. So whatever, you know, part of your journey you're in, my advice is always at least seek some help and support, be it counseling, meditation, whatever form of spirituality, healing that you believe in. I think seek that first. Look after you first. Build yourself up first. That is important. You are important. We need you to be whole and healed and coming from a place of strength. When you have done that, then you are in a much better place to challenge the the status quo, to want to make that change. And you do it from a place of wholesomeness. You do it from a place of where the work is not your sense of, uh, it's not your validation. The work is just just something you actually do and you're able to separate yourself from it because it will be challenging. There are people who, will attack you. I have had attacks for most of my career to this day when I put an article or piece out. I have trolls online, but because I'm coming from a place of wholeness and I go to therapy still, you know, I still engage with my therapies. I still do mindfulness, I still do yoga, I still do my meditation. I'm still always having that spirituality, that sense of looking after me so I can pour out to to my work in a healthy way. Do that. Do do that work so that you're able to withstand the challenges that will come your way. So you're able to always be value-based, focus on what you want to achieve rather than needing the work to validate you or rather than the work taking so much from you that you may crash and not have it be sustainable. 20 years is a long term to be in this line of work. And I've only been able to keep doing it and showing up. And I imagine I'll keep doing it for years to come. Because I do look after myself and I prioritize my health and my well-being so I can be there for myself, for my son, my family, and my community. So that's my advice to survivors. Once you have done that sort of work and you're in the advocacy, always remember where you why you started the work. Have a journal where you write, why did you start this work? It's very important. You're going to need the why when you're tired. You're going to need the why. When the attacks come, you're going to need the why when you want to give up. You're going to need the why when it feels like you're not making a difference. The other day, I got a message from a friend who went to a training in Adelaide, a child protection training. She messaged me to say, oh my God, they mentioned FGM. And the moment they did, I knew this was your work. I knew it. I just knew this was something you have advocated for so long. And I I wrote on, on Instagram that it is taking me years of manifesting that. I have advocated for years that FGM should be included in child protection, that the very people tasked with protecting uh, children in Australia are not even aware of this form of child abuse, but there it was. I, and all these years, there are times I did feel tired. There were times I felt like nobody was listening to me, but I kept on going because I kept on remembering why I was doing it. There was for those little girls, those precious baby little girls who can't protect themselves, who are voiceless and nobody protected little Khadija. So I am making sure that I protect other little collegias. I have that written down. I look at that every single day. I I make it remind me why I am in this. I'm not in this for the accolades, the attention, the fame. Those are extras that have come just as a result of people admiring my work. That is not the focus. That is not the intent. That is not my goal. My goal is every platform is to utilize it to make sure I raise awareness once again of the work, those little girls, the 11 girls at risk of FGM, the survivors, even now, as you can see, I'm still doing it. I can't help but make it about that. But that is because I I remind myself that this is why I started this work. So know your why. Every step of the way, know the why. And that is the same as those who are not even survivors. Know the why. Why do you want to be an ally to a community on issue that maybe you haven't experienced firsthand? Remember why you're doing it. It's not about you and it should not be about you. It should be about making a difference. Make sure you listen to those who are survivors in that area. Make sure you listen to those communities that are directly impacted. Stand by them, but don't lead them. This is for allies. Don't lead. Stand beside or behind. Let those who are directly impacted be the expert. They are the experts. Let their voices be the loudest, like, like Christina is doing right now, giving me a platform to share my story, to share the cause that is close to my heart. And you can see I'm the resounding voice in this audio. I am the resounding <laughs> story because that is Christina being an ally and providing a platform and a space. So we can all learn from that. Whatever your cause is, whatever the, the mantle you have pick, picked up give voice to survivors, stand beside and behind them. Don't take over. You are not the expert in it. Those who have lived to it are the expert. Always be mindful that you are checking your privilege, checking where, why you're doing this. What is your motivation? Because we can all get lost along the way, especially when fame comes along, especially when attention comes along. Remember why you're doing this so you don't get lost, so you don't deviate. From, the, from what was the motivation for, for the work that you are doing. But most of all, and I can never say this enough, no matter what form of advocacy you are doing, look after yourself. Self-care is important. We cannot be self-sacrificing. Uh, we cannot be disloyal to ourselves. Make sure you prioritize looking after yourself. Make sure that you show up for yourself yourself. Make sure you surround yourself with people who build you up and and, and support you and are able to feed good things into you. Because when you are whole and you are healthy, you are able to give back. You're able to show up authentically to, to to your community, to the world around you. You matter. Make sure you look after you and you'll be able to pour from a good and healthy and wholesome place.
0: Having that why, I, have a, I often even to change habits, I have a why document because uh, sometimes it's exciting to start with, but then when really hard work starts, it's sometimes easy to forget um, why
1: you're doing it. Yes, it is, Christine, and this is why I'm such a huge fan of journaling because it keeps a record of these things. It keeps a record of my goals, it keeps a record of my whys, it keeps a record of my wins, no matter how small. Because those winds also are there to hug me and cuddle me for when things are hard. I'm reminded that they are, that my goals are bearing fruit, no matter how small. So I keep pushing because I can see that. I also journal the obstacles that are in my way. Then I journal ways I could overcome those those obstacles. Who can be a support to me? Who can be an ally? Who I can ask help? Because we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it alone. People tend to think they have to. You don't have to. Change is only possible when we, we have a network. We, we look onto others to realize they have a part to play. We play our part. They play their part. It all comes together. It is great to have allies. It's great to have a support network. It's great to ask for help and extend and, and partner up and collaborate with others with the same values and the same goals so we can then get to, the, to, to, our, to achieving our goals faster, in fact, when we work together. But we don't have to do it alone. And yeah, journaling for me is just such a great way of always recording these things and going back to it and looking at my why and looking at my wins and remembering what matters the most when life gets hard, what matters the most, why I need to show up, what the impact of that showing up will look like.
0: Love that. Yeah, Journaling has been a big part of my life as well. So it's great to hear that it has in your life as well. So by the time of airing this episode, it will be close to International Women's Day. And this year's theme at 2021 is choose to challenge. And I would love to. Um, I think I think I don't have to ask this because I think I know this. Uh, but what does that mean for you?
1: Choose to challenge. I think it is such a perfect theme in the world that we currently live in. You know, with COVID and the impact of COVID, especially on in the human rights space. And Christina, you will know this. We know COVID has such an impact on education, gender equality, um fighting gender-based violence, all these issues that we at all come together to sort of work on, we have seen the impact and the delay in, in, in achieving some of those goals because of this pandemic. But more than anything, we have seen the impact of the pandemic on women and girls, particularly, particularly girls. Not having access to education, being locked at home with people who were abusing them, we saw another two million numbers added to FGM because of the pandemic. We saw, I think, another million added to, to 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 child marriage because of the pandemic, and that doesn't even include all the other forms of abuse and 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 lack of access to care, to support, to teachers, to people who can protect these precious little girls all over the world. So, for me this International Women's Day, I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge the impact of COVID on our work, on those uh, goals we had set in those spaces, but more than anything else, the theme of choose to challenge. I think we are reminded we have so much more, more work to do. So each and every single one of us must choose to challenge the status quo. We must challenge this the, our maybe limiting beliefs that Everything is as it should be. It's already it is. We can't change it. It's too hard. We must challenge that. We must challenge that we are not, we don't have the answers, that we must look onto others to be the answers. You don't even have to look to Kadisha to be the answer. You are the answer because you know your family more intimately than I do. You know the challenges your family is facing. So you are the answer. You are the solution to that. So choose to challenge the things you don't like in your family, the, the, the practices you don't like It could be the way you raise your children, that you want to raise them in a human rights framework where they're able to be everything they want to be, regardless of their gender. It could be challenging that your daughters are the only ones who need to learn to cook, not your sons. You could challenge that. You could challenge in your workplace the fact that there's a culture of sexual harassment or discrimination or that there's not gender equal pay for men and women. You can challenge that. In your faith community. You can choose to challenge the structures or systems and processes that are not beneficial for everyone, that don't treat everyone equally, that discriminate. You can choose to challenge that. If you're a teacher, you can choose to challenge the curriculum. If it's not inclusive of all children, regardless of their class, their race, their ability, their sexuality, you can choose to challenge that. As you can see, my resounding message is that all of us have the ability to choose to challenge power, influence, systems, processes, what has always been normalized, what has always been the way we have done things. We can choose to challenge those things every single day in all the areas of influence we have. We can say no more. We can say this is not going to continue. We can say there's a better and different way to do things. So that is what I, Khadija will be doing for International Women's Day. That is my calling. I will continue to choose to challenge gender inequality, to choose to challenge that we cannot accept to live in a world where women are not treated equally, where women don't have equal access to education opportunity, so we can thrive and contribute to our community. I choose to challenge a world where we still have girls not having access to education, not having access to pen and pencil, and books so they can have information so they can make informed choices about their lives because we know research says this when you educate a child, a girl child, you educate a whole nation. The power of a pen and paper in the hands of a girl child, women are decision makers in their home. So, when she's informed, she has an education, she makes she is more likely to make a choice to not uh, subject her daughter to FGM. We know this because backed up by research, she's more likely to make a different choice about her child. Uh, her daughter not being forced to marriage very early. She's able to make choices around sexual health and reproductive health. So you know what? That is what I am choosing to challenge. Once again, I'm choosing, choosing to challenge discrimination. I'm choosing to challenge the fact that we make some people in our community voiceless and that we should give them a voice. We should ensure that we don't stay silent in the face of any form of human rights violation, any form of human rights abuse, any form of inequality, we must all as individuals choose to challenge the systems, if not for us, but for the next generation. Every time I hold my son, I am reminded of my the opportunity I have been given and, and the, the call I have and the privilege to make the world a better place for him and every child like him because we must do better.
0: That was such a powerful couple of minutes there because some people are unaware what they can help with uh, because they might come in such they might have grown up in such a privileged um, homes or area uh, but there are always things that we can improve on or support and help and i think um what you just went through there it gives a lot of um Lot of ideas on how we can all you know make a small impact as individuals and imagine then what that means across the world and it could make a big impact so thank you so much for sharing that I'm going to shift gear a little bit now and I'm going to ask you a little bit I'm all about dreaming because I think it all starts with dreaming dreaming about what you want to do with your life but also what we can do to make the world a better place so what are your dreams
1: I am a big dreamer, Christina. Most of the time, when I'm journaling, it's me dreaming, (laughs) writing my dreams and goals and manifesting them and scripting them. So, um, and I think sometimes people think as an activist that all I dream about is changing the world. That's one part, but I also have dreams as a woman, as a mom. I have other, you know, other parts of my identity that have, you know, dreams that are covered by that. Um, I think one couple of my dreams this year and movie. I wanna write a book. And then everyone would say that's no brainer, obviously. I have an amazing story, an interesting story, but I would love to write a book, yeah, because I think it would be such a good way to capture my full story. What everyone has heard are just snippets of my story that is not the full extent of my story, it's not the full extent of all that I am, all that I hope to be and all the ways that, uh, the magical ways, you know, and magical things that have transpired in my life, not just the negative, but the positives as well. So I would love to, I'm dreaming and manifesting a book, you know, in in this year to next year, that that will come to pass. I'll have an opportunity for that to be the case. I am dreaming of Probably being more successful than I am. And I know that probably sounds slightly superficial, but in a way it's not because we all want to grow. We want to see growth in our work, in our lives. And my activism is great, but I'm always mindful that the more I grow my profile, then the more then my activism also grows. Because as you know, we live in a world of platforms. The bigger the platform, the more people listen, the more people show up the more my call of action will be heard. So the two are not separate. So the more than I, I sort of achieve success in the work that I do, be it as a model, influenza, or as an activist um, in my own consultancy business that I do, the more than I know that will create a bigger platform um, to be able to push my activism to a new audience all the time, to a space where it might not be so hard because it, it can be hard to actually get people to listen to my message. It can be hard to get, to make change. So I do need to build my profile a lot more bigger so I can have the right ears listening to my message. People will actually have power to make those changes that I want so I can do the work that I do. Um, So success, I do have dream of... And and success, that's also in line with my values though. I do not want to go off those values. It has to still be founded on that I'm staying true to who I am and what I believe in. Um, So I do want, um, I am dreaming of success. Um, And more than that, I think I am also very much dreaming of being able to have um, a more better life balance. Currently, I guess with the way the world is, I am working, but I would love to be more financially independent to then allow me to have more time and space to be more free, to, to be with my child, to be more free, to do things that make a teacher happy. I haven't traveled. I've never had a holiday, by the way. Like, that's one thing. All my travel trips have all been for work and activism. I've never had a holiday. I would love to be able to fit in a couple of holidays, even if just internally in Australia, I would love to just be able to have time where I switch everything off and I feed the woman in me and, and have time to, to rest and recharge and, uh, um, yeah, yeah, that, those are the things, life balance, a book, success, <laughs> a bigger platform so I can make the changes I want. It's really that simple. Yeah, those are my dreams outside of my activism.
0: Amazing dreams. And um, first, absolutely, you have to write a book whenever that fits into your life. I think having written a book myself, uh, it's such an amazing process. And uh, and in my digital course and when we do our Monday Lives, I always ins- try to inspire everyone who who comes across in my course to, to write a book in their lifetime, not just for, you know putting your story out there but also for yourself to have a uh, go through that process it's a really wonderful process it's hard process but it's a wonderful thing so I had no doubt that, that we will see that even if I can ever help you in in that let me know and the other one we've talked about was success and um, it's absolutely not superficial because you need to have that so you can um, reach more people so I think that is an amazing dream, dream. and of course Better life balance, as we spoke about. If you, if you want to change the world, you absolutely have to start with yourself to make sure that you have the energy and the capacity, and um, and fin- financial independence. I think is so in- so important more than ever, I think, so you're not depending on anyone else and you can actually can make the world a better place. So I think your dreams are amazing and super inspiring for, for me and also for, um, for our listeners. I would love to know, have you got a particular morning routine to set you up for a productive day?
1: Oh, absolutely! I need a routine in my life. It just grounds me. So when I wake up in the morning, the first thing is my son will talk my ear off, and so we—I ha- have to let him have that chat. Um, and it, it is usually the most precious part of my day because whatever thoughts he has, whether dreams, are usually just so beautiful, and I'm reminded of the innocence of children and how I also need to be more innocent in my thinking um, and once we do that he then usually gives me compliments so my first manifestations are usually for my own child telling me I'm the best thing in the world and he loves me very much and then I return the same to him and we cuddle, I like that quiet time in, before the day starts where it's just me and him and we're able to just bond and, and set our day up with love, you know, and then once I am done with that I get him ready for school I usually like to sit and have my tea I put uh, my candle on, I'm a huge fan of candles. Honestly, I need to partner up with someone who makes candles so I can just be the spokesperson because honestly, I just like candles. Then I meditate. I meditate and I like to really just spend that quiet time to ground myself down a little bit and focus on my intent for the day away from all my responsibilities. Just the intent is what emotions and feelings and, and I want from that day rather than what I want to achieve. Because I think, it, like you said, when you're A-type personality, it's so easy to be thinking of output and productivity but to me, that time is not about my output and productivity, but more a sense of feeling. And, and usually it's that I want to have more patience that day. I want to feel more patient, more karma. I want to feel a sense of joy and peace. Those are really actually what I'm trying to cult- cultivate during my day because my work is very stressful. And as the day goes, little things, the stress builds up, whether it's a child I couldn't get to on time, whether it's an email from a a partnership that may need more tweaking so the values are right or I actually have to walk away because the values don't align, the stress can build up. So that time in the morning as I am meditating, it's just me wanting to set my intention of the emotions and the sense of energy. I guess I want to circulate that day. And peace and calm um, and patience are always my favorite because I think when you have those three things, no matter what comes in my day, I feel like I can take it on Then I sip my tea very nicely. Once again, still focus on energy and the intent I want for my day. And then quite interestingly, I do pull my cards. So now that I have my You Can Make a Difference Empowerment card, I have that. But I also have a tarot card as well. And people will know this about me. Quite spiritual. But I do like to pull two cards. And just to have that, whatever words they have for me for my day. So also center me as the day goes. I'm just reminded of the beauty of what I want that day to be and those words to be there guiding me throughout the day um, and allowing me to focus. And once I have done all of, all of that good spiritual stuff, I'm sort of ready to maybe put on makeup if I'm going to do Zoom stuff or training. And even as I'm doing my makeup, that's when I do my affirmations. You know, I say I'm strong. I am beautiful, I am powerful, I'm the expert of my life, I'm going to conquer today, Um, my words have meaning, my words will be healing to those who hear it, it will inspire people, I I do that as I'm doing my makeup, it just builds me up, it also then challenges those subconscious thoughts that sometimes pop in, oh, you have an accent, people might not understand you, Khadija, what if you have too much energy, (laughs) like, no, 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 that is not what we're leading with today, we're leading with these affirmation words, I am strong, I'm beautiful. I am powerful. I have a purpose in this world. My words are what I needed. I will show up authentically today. Good things are going to happen to me today. Opportunities are going to come my way today. I am going to have a lovely day. I'm going to have an amazing day. I'm going to have a heaven on earth kind of day. <laughs> that is, those are the things I say, those affirmations. They're just there to build me up. Almost like putting on an armor to start the day. That's what they feel like. They they, 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 they cuddle me and, and and they wrap themselves, you know. Around me in a beautiful way, way before I start what is actually work. And then I check my emails and I make sure, I, you know, I filter the things that, you know, are more important than others. Um, and usually my favorite emails are the ones that have gifts in them because I like gifts. It's my love language. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, yes, good things. And then what the most important ones are usually the ones where there's a call of action. Um, There's a child at risk or there's a woman who's needing help and support. And I make sure I prioritize that before then I go on to business stuff. Um, And then the day just sort of unravels like that. And then I pick up my baby and I start. Mothering kicks in. And then it's just being a mom and, and making sure I'm present for that the most important role in my life. And the hardest one is being a mom. A single mom at that. But I'm a black woman with disability, single mom, raising a child who is a black boy with disability. As well, so I do have my cup is quite full. Uh, My days are very hectic. There's a lot of challenges, but just having that nice routine in the morning with my baby, then the things I do to spiritually to center myself, and then by the time I pick him up, I'm you know back to dinner and listening to baby chatter about school and who he likes and doesn't like, and by the time I unwind and put him to bed, then I usually come back out, make another tea, light my candle, and and do my gratitude journal for the day. Just thinking of the moments that uh, that were magical, the little surprises I had, the kindness I received, or the kindness I showed, and the ways I showed up, um, and the things possibly I want to change, and my intent for the next day, and that wraps up my day. Usually, wow, that sounds
0: like an amazing routine that you you start with. So thank you for sharing that. Super inspiring. a couple of before we end this incredibly inspiring conversation. I would like to ask you: Have you got a favorite Kiki K product or a favorite
1: station product? Oh, oh God, that is tricky because I use everything, so it is tricky. Oh, oh, I think based on just the journaling thing and the manifesting anything, and the I think cards and journaling, so things I can do write it down and a cute pen, a cute pen because I. I who doesn't like a pen that looks beautiful? If I'm gonna write, it needs to be beautiful, and it needs to glide <laughs> on that paper like it's like it has power. And my cards, because I just think people—yeah, not everyone might be into cards, but they just beautiful. Being able to pull a card in the morning, or even during the day, by lunchtime, pulling another one just to remind you that you're amazing, you're doing the best that you can, and and you know you can do, you can conquer. Just it's so powerful. So. Yeah. I, I think I lean towards a pen. Give me a good journal and give me a set of cards and I can take on the world. Yeah. Outside of my phone and my iPad, I think those are the most useful things to me because I'm always writing, whether it's new thoughts and new dreams as I'm working with a client or I'm just even sitting and having lunch. I'm like, oh, that is something I could do. Oh, I need to partner up with those people. Oh my God, that's a good thought. So I'm always writing. So in a way, give me a book. And a pen, like Malala, say, "God, <laughs> I can make anything happen." Honestly, <laughs> I agree.
0: I'm exactly the same. I love my journal. I love my pen. I love empowerment cards. So.
1: But Christina, I must say, look, I love Kiki. So I love everything Kiki does. So I love all the Kiki products. So don't limit me to three products, okay? I'm all about the Kiki life. Kiki is a lifestyle.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for um, that amazing feedback. That's lovely to hear. Last question, or two more. One really quick one. Have you got a favorite book?
1: I think the Nelson Mandela biography is still one of my favorite books. And I read it when I was in high school. And... I remember, I think i just come to Australia. Maybe I was at uh, year 10, year year 11 when I would have picked it up. And as a little young black girl in Australia, I was becoming very aware of racism and the impact of it um, and being a minority and feeling all sort of out of sorts in my identity. So to have picked up Nelson Mandela's autobiography was quite timely because obviously we all know what Nelson Mandela stood for and his experiences, and it just sort of put a fire under my, my in my belly, I think. And even years later, I still go to it. It just seems to be my go-to in, in grounding myself in th- these values of human rights and fighting the good fight and showing up for cause and believing and being able to bring people together for a shared cause because he inspired so many. And yes, he and he made sacrifices, the ultimate sacrifice of his freedom for what he believed in. And I can, yeah, it just his autobiography just seems to have all the themes and, and that have always grounded my life. And to this day, I see it as a source of inspiration. It's my go-to, I have to say, book and say memoir. But yeah, I love, absolutely love the Nelson Mandela autobiography.
0: Yeah, I love that too. And one of the things that really... Stood out to me in his book is the way he was like really angry at the start, and he he just thought he was never gonna get out. And then he just shifted his frame of mind. And I think that this is really good for any dreamers out there in terms of, you know, if he could get out, um, what would he do? And if he could make all the changes, what would he do? Rather than saying it seemed possible, like if it was possible, what would he do? And um, when he started writing his letters and it was just, yeah, it's just so, so inspiring. And I think it's a great book for anyone to to read, to understand, but also to be inspired to have that kind of mindset in their own life. So thank you for sharing.
1: Oh, and I was also thinking what he really taught us was that it's okay to change People think we're not allowed to change. Nelson changed. Like you just said, he actually allowed himself to change. He changed strategy as well. The the original one he had, he knew wasn't working for him. He went, okay, I need a different, I I need to change my thinking and outlook. And I, I need to actually change to a different path. He changed. We don't allow people to change. And people think they can't change. You can change. There's room to change your thinking, your belief system. You can grow. He grew. He absolutely allowed himself space to grow and to even adapt his message in a way. And that also then meant he, great, he gained a new audience and following who were able to tap into that. So I think sometimes people miss that nuance. Like you said, he was on the same Nelson Mandela in the beginning to what we saw in there. He changed, and prison obviously changed him, but he also changed the, his approach and his strategy. And I'm always reminded as an activist, I can, as years goes by, the landscape of activism changes for example, currently I'm using Instagram a lot more in my activism than I've previously done because I know that it's quite a huge platform. It's an aesthetically pleasing one. Things have to be pretty and cute, but you can adapt that and still utilize it for activism if you want to. If I had just challenged and I went, no, I can't, it's too hard. I don't know how to do pretty things and I've actually outsourced the pretty part because I'm not that's not my thing. I want to do content. But it's still, I know that it's working for me currently because I have done that. That change has been beneficial. So it's okay to change.
0: It's a really good point. So thank you for sharing. Last question. If you could go back to your younger self, say when you were in your late, say when you were in your late teens, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know
1: now? I grew up being told I was too much and I felt like I was always too much. So my young advice to young DJ is you are not too much. You're actually just perfectly right. Everything you are, the fact that you're loud, <laughs> the fact that you use your hands a lot the fact that um, you're unapologetic about your thoughts, your beliefs, and you openly share them, your braveness in the face of, you know, what people might think, why would you want to share such private parts of your life? Or why would you want to share such a private and brutal thing, you know, with the world? You know, don't you have any shame? It's okay. All these things, the sum of who you are, all your parts are what makes you so unique and magical. And they're exactly what the world needs. So don't change. Be who you are. Be loud. Show up. Speak up. Take as much space as you want because, oh, baby girl, <laughs> you're going to change the world in your own unique and interesting way. So, yeah, that is my advice. I wish somebody had told me that then, but that is always my advice to little Khadija. And to this day now, I always, I, I, when I manifest to my little version of myself, I say, thank you for being you. Thank you so much for staying true to, to you so I can walk. So, adult Khadija, be who she is because little Kadi just stayed the path and she didn't change. It's beautiful.
0: What a beautiful way of ending this super inspiring episode. I cannot thank you enough for um, taking the time to come on my podcast, but for all the amazing things that you are doing to the world and also inspiring others to step up and do the changes that is so needed in the world and also achievable when you look at the way you are doing it and if you can change a few people's life that's enough you don't have to change the world you can just stop where you are and all the things that you have shared with us today has been so inspiring and I have no doubt our listeners will absolutely love it and uh, also support you in anything that we can so thank you so much for coming along today
1: No, thank you, Christine. And thank you. You know, when I received that message from Kiki K, I was like, Oh my God, this is so great. I love them. I love their products. I love what you stand for your values. And even as I'm doing this interview, I'm like, Oh my God, there's so much synergy between us and absolutely so um, grateful and excited by your partnership with the Malala Fund. I mean, just amazing, you know, working in that space. And I'm always, I love when I see brands and businesses partner up for a good cause there's so much power when we collaborate, like I said before. And this is such a beautiful collaboration and, and and one that's going to change so many lives and be so meaningful. So it's been my absolute pleasure that you have hosted me, not only on this platform, but your other platform and, and be an ally to my message and allow me to to share what's in my heart and my hopes and dream. And I just know that it will make a difference. Somebody will listen to this who it will resonate with. Um, and there will be people, new people, a new audience who will hear my call of action and jump on board. So my eternal gratitude to you for this support and allyship. Thank you.
0: Wow. I was almost speechless after speaking with Khadija. She is just such an inspiration and so passionate about everything. Her energy for creating positive change and her passion for empowering women is truly contagious. And with International Women's Day on the 8th of March, I couldn't think of a better guest to remind us all to challenge the status quo and support each other to live our best lives. No matter how things have been done before, there is always room for positive change. And Khadija is the perfect example of someone who is choosing to challenge every day. If you are looking for more resources for International Women's Day and just campaign against FGM, we'll share plenty of links in our show notes. And you can also find more information about our beautiful Malala Fund collaboration there as well. At Kikike, we love celebrating not just for International Women's Day, but every day. And invite you to join us in choosing to dream, believe, challenge, change and achieve as well always want to inspire and empower everyone to make the most of every single day, which is why we have also created a very special limited edition daily action pad, which is available at geekykay.com. If you love this episode and have been inspired to make any positive changes after hearing this episode, I would love you to join my private Facebook group for your dream life podcast so you can share and learn with a group of like-minded dreamers. We have so many more inspiring guests lined up for the coming months. So please remember to subscribe so you don't miss any. And don't forget to tell us what you thought by leaving us a review. I love hearing from you and I'm so grateful for all the amazing comments. Thank you again for listening and until next time, dream big.